open the scriptures to Proverbs chapter 3. The section that we're going to look at tonight begins with verse 1 and goes down through verse 12. And uh, in those verses you have six lessons for living. And that's what we want to deal with tonight. Um, I think I'll say just a few things here related to the book of Proverbs in general before we uh, read the section. Uh, I think hopefully that will be helpful to you, not just with this uh, message tonight, but with other things that you will read in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is part of what's called the wisdom literature in the Bible. That would be books like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job. There might be one or two more. But those, those are normally called the wisdom literature because they are there to give us wisdom. Now, not wisdom in the way that the world normally thinks of wisdom. It's uh, for, for the Bible or biblical wisdom, let's put it that way. To have biblical wisdom involves not just bare knowledge or understanding, but it's knowledge and experience in God's ways. That's what biblical wisdom is all about, the knowledge of and the experience of God's ways. It involves skill in the ways of godly living. That's what biblical wisdom, and that's what the wisdom literature deals with. Um, now, again, that's different than just learning or knowledge. We can be very advanced in scientific learning or philosophical understanding of things, but if we don't understand and practice righteousness, the Bible says we're fools. So uh, wisdom and folly are contrasted, but it all has to do with righteousness and godly uh, wisdom, godly um, living. Uh, the fact is that there are a lot of foolish, knowledgeable people around. I mean, they have a lot of knowledge, but they're still foolish. Um, people who lack the ability to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong, between what's wholesome and what's damaging, between what is important and what's unimportant. All those things are part of what real wisdom involves. So I say there's a lot of foolish, knowledgeable people around yeah, around us every day. So this book of Proverbs gives us help in acquiring wisdom, godly wisdom, wise living skills is what the book's all about. Um, so that's the wisdom literature. And sometimes some of the books here in the wisdom literature are called uh, are called the poetic books. Uh, that would be especially Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, or poetic literature in the Scriptures. Now, I wanted to just say a few words about that because this is important too. Uh, otherwise, we will misread. You know, you have to read poetry a little different than you read 
other literature. And these were poems. These uh, proverbs, psalms, they were, they were poetry. Now, it's a little different poetry than what we have normally in English. It's not rhyming. It wasn't intended to rhyme. Uh, but it does have a definite meter and a, a rhythm to it that sometimes we miss in the translation, but it was there in the, in the, in the Hebrew. So it was written as poetry. And one of the features of the Hebrew poetry was what's called parallelism. Now, we're going to be looking at a lot of that's A lot of the Proverbs are that way. Um, the idea there is that the first part of a verse or line is parallel in some way to a second part of the verse. I don't want to get too technical here, and these things I wouldn't have known unless I read, read them in a book, but I thought they were kind of interesting, and we're going to be looking at some of it tonight, so I thought I'd just explain this to you. Um, sometimes there's what's called a synonymous parallel. That's where the first and second part of a verse or a couple verses are similar. They're synonymous. For instance, if in the chapter we're looking at tonight, down past the section we're looking at, if you look at verse 13, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom, then it's restated, and the man who gains understanding. See, that's just a parallel. Finding wisdom, gaining understanding. Or again, uh, for its profit is better than the profit of silver, and its gain than fine gold. It just restates the thing in a similar way to emphasize a point. So that's a synonymous. Then there's an antithetical parallel. That means the second line is opposite or a contrast to the first. Now, if you go to chapter 10, the whole chapter virtually is like that. Uh, a wise, verse 1, a wise son makes the father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. See, there's a contrast there. And you can just read down that whole chapter is like that. That would be an antithetical parallel. Look at, uh, for instance, verse 16. Uh, the wages of the righteous is life, the income of the wicked, punishment. You see how there's, it's just the opposite, wise and foolish, wicked and, and uh, righteous. So that's, that's another type, and that's a very common one. But the type that we're looking at tonight, the type of parallel, parallelism that we're looking at tonight is somewhat different. It's called a synthetic parallel. And the idea there is that you, when you put these two parts or these two things together, you'll get a certain result or this will come about. This is the, the synthesis. This is what's going to happen if you have these, these parts. And the way it's usually set up is like this. The second line contains the thought of the first, and then there come, there's a telling of the results of those lines. So you have uh, a line or two stating the the parts, and then you have another line that tells you the results uh, when these things are, are present. And that's what we're going to see tonight. There's another little kind of a deviation from that same type of parallelism where the second line describes something mentioned in the first line. But anyway, and there's others, but those are three of the main types of parallelism. So I just thought, you know, it's kind of good to, to realize that, that the that the book of Proverbs is written in that form. Uh, the other thing that I think has to be stated to um, help us to understand the book of Proverbs is that the Proverbs are not intended to be covenant promises that are true without exception. They are not intended. They're not written that way. 
They are general principles or guidelines that are usually true, but not always true. Now, you're going to see that over and over again tonight. If you take these, some of these things as absolute promises, you'll say, well, I know exceptions to that. Well, yeah, that's, you weren't taken. That's not the way God meant that to be taken. It's a general, a general principle or guideline that usually is the result of, of if you live this way, this will usually be the result. They are not ironclad laws, but they are truths to live by, yet realizing that God has wise and righteous reasons when he makes exceptions to that general rule. So that will come out uh, a number of times this evening. So the first five parallels are contained in verses 1 through 10. And they put forth the basic principle that the way to experience good in this world is to live in accordance with God's ways. The way to experience good in this world is to live in accordance with God's ways. And you'll find that stated in the first ten verses. Basically, what the, 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 the overarching principle there is, since this universe is ruled by a good God, we can in general expect godliness to be rewarded. Things will go well, if we live well, that's the principle. Things will go well if we live well. But, as I said, exceptions do occur, and even in this uh, group of parallels here, we see that God's people do experience difficult times, and that's presented to us here in 11, verse 11 and 12. And that's the sixth great lesson from this section. It helps explain to us what's happening in hard times. So... Let's go ahead and read the section, and then we'll just take each parallel section by itself and analyze it a little bit. So, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will, direct your, he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So I hope even as we just read through those, you could see those little parallel sections there. Uh, but we'll, we'll take some time here to... Just uh, analyze them a little bit. So that first parallel couplet, uh, beginning there in verse 1, first there's the exhortation from the Father to the Son in verse 1, and then the uh, expectation or the result uh, given in verse 2. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then the result 
for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. In other words, the overall thought there is keeping commandments brings long life and peace. That's the, that's the basic thing that's being presented, keeping God's commandments. Uh, I think it is good to note that the writer here is not talking about some mere outward conformity, but inward willing acceptance of God's commandments and truth. It says, let your heart keep my commandments. So it's, it's a hard thing he's talking about, and that comes out in a number of these. Uh, if that's the case, that will bring longevity and peace, the writer puts us here. And of course, now we can take this in an ultimate sense um, in terms of heaven. You know, if we keep God's commandments, we'll have real longevity. We'll live forever and have real peace. Uh, but I don't think that's what uh, Solomon was thinking about here. I think he was thinking about life here, uh, something that holds true on earth. And I think we can see that it was something that he felt strongly about uh, because he brought it up over and over again in the Proverbs. Let's turn to nine, chapter 9, verse 10. And 11, actually. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So he's talking about wisdom here. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. So living according to God's wisdom, God's commandments, he says uh, your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. Um, chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked will be shortened. There's one of those contrasting ones, antithetical. But again, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, and then maybe one more. Uh, 1427. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. So, the idea of Walking with God, lengthening your life, is what he's uh, presenting here. And uh, the fact is, I think we, we can just see the reality of that uh, as we look around us in a number of situations. There are many forms of sin shorten a person's days on earth. Uh, one good example of that is homosexuality. Uh, the average homosexual man lives from uh, 20 to 30 years less than the average life expectancy of uh, a person that's not a homosexual. That's just one example. The idea, the um, thing that I think is being brought out in the scriptures is that self-indulgence generally is detrimental to your health. Self-indulgence is detrimental to your health. Smoking, drinking, drug use, overeating, things like that, it's detrimental to your health. It's just a general principle, and that's part of what uh, is being brought out in this scripture that we're looking at here, keeping God's commandments. Living in God's way will generally, not always, but generally lengthen, lengthen your days. 
uh, it also bring, he also mentions peace here. He says, uh, for length of day, somebody want to get that? <laughs> length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Um, so, keeping God's commandments will add peace to your life. Now, I think uh, we have to kind of understand that in a, in a broader sense than the normal way we understand peace. But although the writer does bring out, even for instance, let me just read you one here. In Proverbs 16, 7, he says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, again, see, those are general principles. Not always true. Your ways may be pe- pleasing to the Lord, and uh, you're going to have some enemies but, and people that you just can't get reconciled to. But in general, in general, you see, that's true. And it's true that God's going to grant peace if you'll just walk with him. Now, uh, the word actually carries a broader meaning than just lack of war- warfare. It has the idea of well-being or wholeness. Uh, I think a good way of putting the peace that he's talking about is, is to, the way the songwriter put it. It's well with my soul. That's peace. It is well. And though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. It's well with my soul. That's the kind of peace that we should think about here, I think, in this verse. It's part of the privilege of being a Christian, that is, those who have a heart desire to do God's will, a heart to keep his commandments. It's peace. There's peace there, you see. So that's the first uh, parallelism. You have the not forgetting God's teaching, your heart to keep his commandments, and then the result of that, length of days and peace. All right, the next one. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There's the heart again, you see. These these are not just external things. So, here's the result. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Kindness and truth are to be on on our hearts and on display. See, it's not just in the heart. Bind them around your neck. In other words, something other people can see. They're on your heart, but they're also bound around your neck. Uh, So again, truths, I think, the the truth here that he's talking about has to do with uh, faithfulness, trustworthiness, uh, dealing, I think, mainly with our relationship with other people. If we have these two graces in our lives, kindness and truth, then uh, we will seek to do right by our fellow man, helping them, bearing their burdens, uh, speaking the truth in love to them. If we have that kind of attitude towards others, that right attitude, God is pleased in general. Now, again, it's in general to give us this result. We'll find favor and good repute in the sight of God and men. God is pleased with us, and in general, so will be our fellow man. And again, of course, there are exceptions. That's the point, you see. These things are not given as some kind of ironclad law, but they're general rules of living. By and large, if you're kind, 
and faithful and true, that is, trustworthy, most men will respect and appreciate those qualities. Sometimes it takes some time for that to be the case. Their initial reaction may not be that. But over the long haul, you see, which I think is what he's talking about here, uh, he says, don't let these things, kindness and truth, leave you. Stay with it. Stay with it. Just because somebody's turned off to you because of your Christianity initially, just keep living the life. Keep going. Keep going. It's going to have a test. It'll have a testimony to them. Uh, and deep down, maybe not always, they won't always express it, but deep down, you'll find favor in their eyes. Uh, God will bless that, and most men will acknowledge your good behavior. And again, like I say, often the initial reproach that you experience can be lived down by consistent godliness. So, the second one then. Just a basic principle to live by. Let kindness and truth, don't let them leave you, bind them around your neck, and you'll find favor with God and man. It's just a basic truth. Uh, the next one then, beginning with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. What's the result? He will make your paths straight. It's another general principle. Trust in God brings guidance from God. That's the principle. Trust in God will bring guidance from God. Self-distrust is the other side or the other side of the coin of trust in God. You see, uh, do not lean on your own understanding. No, don't, don't think you've got it all figured out. You're going to have to go by God's word to really walk the way God wants you to in this life. And if you'll do that, then he will make your paths straight. Um, the key to guidance is neutrality and faith. What do I mean by that? Well, it's just, that's what it means to acknowledge him. You don't take your ideas first. You listen to what God has to say. You get to the place where you say, I want to know what you think about this, God. You get, you, that's neutrality, you see. Not this or that way from what, what you think, but acknowledging him, acknowledging our dependence and our need for his help. Uh, such an attitude will issue in his directing our path and bringing us to where we should be and where he wants us to be. Now, the problem is that often we don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. We just want to know the will of God so we can consider it. That's not the way God, that's not neutrality, you see. True neutrality is so important. It's what God, we want, got to get to the place where, I, where we want what God wants, whatever that is. That's what we're talking about here, acknowledging Him. And I, I like the way uh, one uh, well-known preacher 
Donald Gray Barnhouse, put it. He said, I can say from experience that 95% of knowing the will of God consists in being prepared to do it before we know it. I mean, that's where you get to, to understand the will of God. Just be prepared to do it before you know what it is. Uh, so, another general principle here. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, understanding, Acknowledge Him, and He's going to direct your paths. We'll, we'll still make some mistakes, but the general principle is true. He's going to get He's going to get us where He wants us to be if we'll just do this. Just trust Him. Put our faith in Him. Take a position of neutrality. Whatever you want is what I want, God. He's going to get us to where we should be. All right. The fourth parallel section found in 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. <clears throat> now, the first part of 7 there, do not be wise in your own eyes, is very similar uh, to uh, verse 5, do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, but to this he adds fear of God and fear God and turn away from evil. And those things always go together, fearing God and turning away from evil. You see that in the, in the Proverbs a lot. Uh, chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. So the fear of the Lord is, is to hate evil. Uh, verse 16 and verse, uh, or chapter 16, verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. So, this is what he's, he's bringing out that aspect here, where he says, um, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The result, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Those uh, with a true fear of the Lord will have a true fear of sin. They'll turn away from evil. And the reward, you might say reward, will be health. Uh, somewhat similar to what was said already in... in uh, uh, verse 2, where he says, length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Uh, a healthy soul is very important for having a healthy body. Spiritual well-being will tend to produce physical well-being. Now again, you see, this is a general principle. You try, if you start taking this as a Absolute law, you're going, to, you're going to see all kinds of exceptions to it. But the general principle is what we're talking about here. Uh, spiritual well-being will tend to produce physical well-being. Uh, of course, again, the opposite is true. You see, for instance, in verse uh, or chapter 5, verse 8, <clears throat> uh, this is, has to do with the adulterous woman. But it says this, um, Keep your ways far from her, 
and do not go near her door, the door of her house, lest you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. So, you know, he's saying this is going to harm you physically even, uh, this wrong relationship. You see it also in the area of, of drunkenness. Um, 23, chapter 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste the mixed wine. So the, the, the principle, you see, again, of uh, spiritual well-being tends to produce physical well-being being, and the opposite being true. You see it also in the area of just uh, guilt. Uh, David speaks of the power of a guilty conscience in the Christian life, and he says it this way. This is in the Psalm, Psalm 32, where he says, uh, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So uh, just the thing of guilt weighing, uh, in this case David, weighing him down. Um, now again, there are cases of godly men and women in close communion with God, and yet they were in poor health. But we're talking about a basic principle here. A basic principle still holds true that godliness tends to promote physical health. So that's uh, what he's bringing out in that particular parallel uh, section. The fifth parallel found in verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So the exhortation is to honor God with your wealth. The result is your barns will be filled with plenty. The principle is that the, uh, basically what uh, Jesus himself stated when he says, given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God says that those that honor him, he will honor. Those that honor me, I will honor. Now, I think here when we're talking, when we're thinking through this section about wealth and, and such produce and things, it's not just a matter of, of the idea of giving, although that's, I think that's one of the large parts of what he's talking about here, but even how we get what we get. You can't honor God with your wealth if you gain it in a, in a dishonorable way, uh, in a... Uh, dishonest way. So it's how we get our wealth and how we use it, how we how we give it. And uh, I'm not going to try to deal with the thing of percentages here or anything about tithing, really. But what I do think we should uh, gain from this is... Uh, Whatever we do give should be what would honor God, what we really feel like would honor God from what we, what we have. And I think the word, uh, an important word in this section is just that little word first. And from the first of your 
produce. Do, do we have first use of what of our wealth or does God? I mean, that's what he's saying here. And um, is he first place in terms of the use of our money and our produce? That's the question. You just leave all that percentage stuff behind and, and think about that. Uh, Christian giving takes away those external standards and rules and replaces it with an internal desire to put God first. I mean, if, if that's not the case about your giving, I don't care how much you give. You're not giving enough. Because the, the point of the whole thing is, is God put first in this area of giving. The Christian attitude is not how little can I give and still obey the law. Rather, it is how much can I give and still do right by my earthly obligations. How much can I give? and still take care of the things that God's made me responsible for here on earth. God doesn't need our money, but we do need to learn to give uh, in order to break down the power of mammon and learn about faith. So according to this verse, we are only hurting ourselves when we do not give generously in a way that honors God in a way that puts him first. We're just hurting, hurting ourselves. That's what he says here. He says, if you'll honor God um, with your wealth and with the first of your produce, your barns will f- be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You're just hurting yourself by trying to hoard things for yourself. Uh, one person said it this way, charity gives itself rich, covetousness hoards itself poor. If you spare the seed corn, you restrict the harvest. That's what he's saying. Well, another, I I wrote down some of these quotes. Givers or gainers is a general principle. Givers or gainers. Uh, So that's the, the fifth couplet. Now, if we just had that much of the Bible... Those first ten verses, uh, we might all—it it might almost appear that the health and wealth and happiness hyperfaith teaching was true. Uh, we know it's not, and we've got a lot more Bible. But if you just had those verses, uh, you might uh, not think that some of that teaching is so far off. But the last two verses in this section bring out a truth that is found very often in the Scripture, and that is that there will be sorrows and troubles and difficulties and griefs and pains in the Christian life. You don't have to... I mean, it's just all over the Bible. Think of Job. Think of Jeremiah. Think of Paul. These were godly people that had all kinds of uh, difficulties, and Jeremiah wrote a whole book of lamentations. So... uh, this verse tells us far more, though, than, than that's just, there's just going to be times of trouble. It also tells us why they come and how, how to view them. They come for our good as one of the chief means of bettering us, one of the chief means of us actually getting wisdom. This is one of the ways God 
will teach you wisdom. Uh, they come from our Heavenly Father who delights in us as his children. Let's read the section here. My son, do not reject reject the discipline of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So these trials in the Christian life come from the hand of our Heavenly Father, the one who delights in us. You just wonder how many sad hearts have been helped by that verse and other verses like it. Because if you didn't have those kind of verses, you could, you know, what are you going to do with these things that come into your life? How are you going to understand them? Millions, I think, have been helped by that verse right there, those two verses and and the parallel then in in the book of Hebrews. Every true Christian experiences something of the discipline of their Heavenly Father. That's what Hebrews tells us. If we don't, we're not His children. This is one of the chief means of growth. God mixes just the right proportion of prosperity and adversity in every Christian's life. Now, that portion for you might... It will be different than it is for me because we're different. But He knows the right mix of prosperity and adversity for each individual saint to maximize their growth. It is the correction of a loved child, not the punishment of a despised criminal, that we are talking about here. We have to resist any hard or dishonoring thoughts of God in these difficult times. He chooses the best time and the gentlest and most effective means to bring about his good purposes in our lives. He's a loving father. You have, to, you have to continue to hold to that truth in the midst of the difficulties and trials. This is what he's saying in this verse here. Don't, don't uh, loathe those things. Don't reject those things. They're, ca- they're coming from the one who knows the best combination of experiences to bring into your life. The rod is in the hand of supreme wisdom and love. And I like the way one commentator said it. He said, we would do well to get our eyes off the rod and onto the hand that holds it. Whatever instrument God uses, it might be sickness, it might be natural calamity, it might be some ill treatment from others, we must remember that, as William Cowper or Cooper said, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Our, our, the sufferings that come upon us as Christians must always be viewed in a larger context of God dealing with us as his sons. God is not responsible for the evil that wicked men bring our way, but God incorporates even these things as instruments to accomplish his purposes in our life. 
They're for growth and training. Now, the result really isn't, you know, these others that we, these other uh, parallels that we looked at uh, mention the result. And the result's not really mentioned here in this uh, uh, section of Scripture, but when the writer of Hebrews takes this verse and uses it in the New Testament, he tells us the result of the discipline of the Lord. And that is God's discipline is to demonstrate his love, which is brought out in this section, and it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, we're told. So that's going to be the result, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Discipline is a God-appointed means so that we might acquire wisdom and righteousness. We might become more Christ-like. Well, I just wanted to close with a little uh, section here from Alexander McLaren. He says, uh, Griefs and pains are not tokens of anger nor punishment of sin, but love gifts meant to help us to the acquisition of wisdom. For the Christian here, they're not tokens of God's anger or punishment, but love gifts meant to help to the acquisition of wisdom. They do not come because the sufferers are wicked, but in order to make them good and better. Tempests are meant to blow us into the port. Kind of like that. They're meant to blow us into the port. They're meant to get us on to heaven, you see. The lights are lowered in the theater that fairer scenes may become visible on the thin screen between us and, and eternity. It gets dark so you can see the things of God better. Other supports are struck away that we may lean hard on God. The voice of all these types of experience of earthly loss and bitterness is wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In other words, God's teaching us here more uh, about himself and about godliness. More about godly living, what, which is what wisdom's all about. So, anyway, that's that section of scripture. If you don't remember anything else as far as general principles, just remember as you read the Proverbs, that's what they are. They're general principles. Uh, you cannot take them as absolute promises because you can look around and see exceptions. But in general, this, is, this, will, this will be the result. If you live this way, this will be the result. Uh, and we looked at five, well, actually six examples of that uh, in this section. Anything anyone wants to say before we close? <clears throat>